uh, you know that the timing of this really couldn't fit any better because uh, what we are going to begin to focus on this morning is what we are entitling, the sermon series is going to be entitled Blueprints for a Rebuild. And uh, the heart behind that is seeking to grasp uh, what it, uh, as we continue to ramp up and and regather and starting ministries, uh, restarting ministries that have kind of been on a hiatus or, or thinking about how we might be able to be involved in the community. This, this idea of a blueprint for a rebuild is this, the timing of having Principal Fullerton here this morning is perfect because uh, we want to think about how is God calling us to be as a church and how is God calling us to be as a church in this community? I recognize that uh, Mike Flowers joins us here this morning, too. He's a, a board member. And, uh, and I, had, I had asked Mike to be here on the day that Sai uh, was presented his award. And he showed up this morning. He says, I forgot that today was the day. I said, well, that works out perfect because today's the day. And uh, so it is wonderful to have uh, both of them with us. But we really want to be used by the Lord to uh, minister to each person that comes through our doors and each person and to be used by the Lord to minister to the community that uh, we are in. You know, Principal Fullerton talked about how just um, the doors were opened for us to pursue this tutoring program. And I look at that as open doors from the Lord that would not have necessarily been opened if it weren't for the pandemic that we have been in as difficult as it has been it has created opportunities for us and so i look at uh, the uh, much of what we're going to be talking about here in the next few weeks is we've already got the lord's wind behind our backs god is clearly on the move and we're simply seeking to join him in what he is doing you know two foundational truths one is that God loves West Covina Christian Church and God loves West Covina and the community that we are located in. And if we are grounded in those two truths, then we know that God, will, that God can use us to bless uh, our ministry and to, and to uh, minister to those that live uh, right around us. As I said, this sermon series is going to be uh, entitled Blueprints for a Rebuild. And uh, so Chelsea's parents, my in-laws, are in the process of basically rebuilding a house. They, they took a house down to the studs, and so these are the blueprints. I asked if I could borrow these for this morning. I mean, not that I have any idea what they mean, but this is a lot of details. Every one of these is something different. This is, this is the uh, bird's eye view and, and the landscaping here. It's called a Legion Street Site Plan. That's the street that it's located on. This is a ba basement demolition plan. This is, a, this is a proposed basement plan, and it goes on like this. A bunch of lines. It's not very beautiful, it's, uh, but it's needed. It's guidelines for how they're going to put the house back together. And, and much of what we're talking about in the next uh, few weeks is, is like the details. 
It's the, it's the plans. It's the ministries. It's the things that we want to uh, be used by. Uh, we want God to use. But really what, the beautiful, what happens to a home, it becomes beautiful when the paint goes on the walls, and the crown molding gets installed, and the furniture gets moved in, and everything uh, comes together at the end. And what becomes beautiful for us as a church is when, when lives are changed and when God is worshipped. You see, our mission statement is to open our doors wide so that many may enter through the narrow gates. And that begins to put some beauty on what we're hoping to, to see happen. That many would come in to come to know Jesus and to be able to worship Him. There is nothing more beautiful than a changed life someone whose lives, life has been changed by Jesus Christ himself. And so that's the furniture that gets moved in, so to speak. But let's talk about the blueprint because we know that God will uh, bring the beauty that will come to pass. As uh, we, we've been going through these sessions of tutoring, um, Chelsea was involved in the first session and she had, and she tutored a little kid. I'm going to call him Matthew. That's not his real name, uh, but uh, Principal Fullerton. I'm sure uh, if I told if I t- told you who she he, she tutored, uh, you'd probably crack up right away because this guy was a character. Uh, little Matthew would have all kinds of stories, and uh, Chelsea, uh, Chelsea, my wife is a children's social worker, so she's very good at asking questions and drawing information out of kids. And she's also very good at picking up on when kids aren't quite telling the truth. Little Matthew uh, uh, said, uh, told Chelsea that uh, he brew, grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Chelsea asked uh, his mom afterwards. He's never been to New York, but uh, according to little Matthew, he grew up in Brooklyn, New York. He vacationed in Puerto Rico this past year. And, uh, and he started the YouTube channel, uh, Go Noodle, which has like thousands of views. None of this is true. It's all very innocent. But uh, Matthew just loved to tell stories. But here was my favorite one. Matthew, uh, sh- he told Chelsea that uh, he went scuba diving in the ocean and he was attacked by a shark. And uh, in the shark attack, he punched the shark in the nose, he said. And the shark got startled and swam away. And, uh, that was, and, and we still tell this story and crack up on Matthew's dramatic uh, story of being attacked by a, by a, a, a killer shark that's, all, that's coming at him and, and punching it in the nose. Uh, but I've just, I thought, with everything that's gone on in, our, in the last year, you know, we've had a lot of attacks coming at us, so to speak. I mean, it's been a difficult year. And it would be one thing to say, it's too much. Let's just swim away. Let's head in the other direction. It'd be another thing to look the difficulties right in the face and punch it in the nose, so to speak. To take it on and say, God's going to make a difference, even in the midst of all the difficulties. Maybe even uh, through the difficulties, God's going to open up doors so that we can advance the kingdom of God. I am convinced that some of what has happened, it's hard to make a direct correlation, but I am sure some of it has a spiritual nature. This has been, there, there have been attacks by the evil one. And uh, as, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity, really the responsibility to punch it in the nose, 
to face evil head on and to say we want what is best for God's kingdom and for best for this community and best for our church. And so that is what we are talking about here in this sermon series, Blueprints for a Rebuild. In the, book of, in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, we see a man of God who has a heart for his people and his city. And so, for the, so in this series, we're going to be going through the book of Nehemiah. And today we will look at chapter 1. And the reason I'm excited about this is because I see so many parallels uh, from Nehemiah's day and his community and our day and our community. Nehemiah is given the task of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. And we're given the task of rebuilding our church and our city. And so let's get a little background information on this book. The name comes from the writer of the book, Nehemiah, who was, as I said, an Israelite who loved his people and his home city of Jerusalem. But the Israelites are in a, in a bad spot. And they have been for some time. 140 years ago, from when the book is written, they were uh, attacked by the superpower of that day, Babylon, who took over, the, uh, who took the Israelites captive and destroyed their capital city, Jerusalem. Now, in the last 40 years, another superpower had uh, risen up, and the Medo-Persians overtook the Babylonians. And so what we find here in the book of Nehemiah is the Israelites are in the land of Babylon under Persian rule. And from a spiritual perspective, God has made it clear that they are in this situation because of their disobedience to him. God had made it clear in the law that if they obeyed him, they would uh, be blessed and they would be a light to the nations. But if they disobeyed him, they, uh, they would be scattered among the nations, and they would not be blessed from God. And you get a hint of how Nehemiah remembers the Old Testament law that stated this in Nehemiah 1.8. Nehemiah says to the Lord, Remember the instruction you gave to your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. And that's exactly what happened. In, eight, in 586 B.C., the Israelites were taken captive. Now, when we pick it up in the book of Nehemiah in chapter 1, there's, some, uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's some, there's some good things that are beginning to happen. Just like in our day and age, we are beginning to see certain things open back up. And we're beginning to see some good that is happening. Uh, the good news here is that the, is that the Persians have allowed some of the Israelites to go back to their home region and to the capital city of Jerusalem. But what they find in Jerusalem is a broken down city. In, Jeru in Nehemiah 1.3 it says, They said to me, those who survived the exile, so Nehemiah's getting a report from those that have been back to the, to the uh, native land. Those who have survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The, tr the great trouble speaks of how they are doing emotionally. The 
disgrace is how they are being treated by the others around them. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. The walls and the gates in Jerusalem having been taken down was a big deal because it left the people vulnerable. If they go back to their city, they're, they're in constant danger of enemies from the outside who could come and attack them, or, or if they made economic pro- progress, they could loot the, uh, the Israelites. And so there is, there is hope because traveling back to the region, but this is, this is a long road to hoe. It's a, it's a steep uphill climb. The broken down walls are both literal and symbolic because symbolically this is a broken down people and when i look at the world around us and what we have been through in the last uh what 18 months 14 months something like that uh, there are many signs of brokenness that are still around us like academically i have you know i'm, I'm mindful of where my kids are at and i've looked and i've, I've kind of tried to keep track of kids doing academically during this time this has been a difficult season of learning and uh and some students have struggled to keep up academically and only years from now will we uh, really know how this time has affected kids socially and emotionally and some of them will bear the scars of this pandemic their whole lives this has been a difficult time on kids and many people have struggled emotionally the isolation of being bound at home takes its toll after a while. And, there have been re- and, and many people testify of, of having feelings of depression and confusion and loneliness. And the high suicide rates are, is, are a tangible sign of people's emotional struggles. And then when we think of the safety and security of the people within the broken down walls of Jerusalem, we're mindful of the high concern that we have had for our own health, our own safety and security, and the drastic measures that we have taken to make sure that people stay uh, healthy and safe. And so all of that, just to highlight what we already know, that we live in a time in which there has been a lot of brokenness. Barna Research Group, which uh, uh, is a major Christian research organization, has identified what they call five categories for human flourishing. Uh, These are the five categories. One, relationships. Two, spiritual health. Three, fiscal and material stability. Four, vocation and career. And five, wellness and behavioral health. And when you look at those five areas, I will just relate that to where the Israelites were at. Relationally, they've been scattered. They've been separated from their relatives. Spiritually, the situation is is a result of their own sin and disobedience from God. Fiscal and uh, material stability, there shows little signs of of financial progress or emotional, or I mean um, economic progress. Vocation and career, they've been displaced and that's uh, impacted them vocationally. Wellness and behavioral health. It says here in the passage that they are greatly troubled and disgraced. And so we look at these five areas and we recognize the brokenness in our times as well. I think we've been affected in every one of these ways. 
through relational isolation, financial uh, uncertainty, social unrest, emotional turmoil, we can say we are in a place of brokenness as well. But as uh, as a society and as a culture, there are signs of life and hope ahead but we still recognize that there is a lot of brokenness around us. So as a church, what are we to do about it? Well, I think as we look at these five areas, and we're going to talk about this in the the next several months, there is a lot that we can uh, bring to the table with the Lord's help. But I find that Nehemiah's initial reaction to this trying situation is very interesting. The first thing Nehemiah does is he sits down and he has a good cry about it all. In Nehemiah 1.4, he says, I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You know, brokenheartedness is not a bad thing to experience. You know, there, there is... There is emotional growth that takes place when we just sit down and we don't try to sweep things under the rug or gloss over but we but we sit in the pain and the suffering that we have experienced not only does this help us process the emotions ourselves but it draws us close to the lord you see god draws uh, near to the brokenhearted uh, Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so I think it's healthy and good for us as a church to, over the course of the next several months, as we try to regather and and, uh, bring ministries back up to speed, uh, that we don't, try to move on from the grief too quickly that we might set aside times to just sit in the pain and recognize there are there are people who have been involved in this church that we have lost over the last 14 months and we will never have joined our fellowship again individuals that have passed away or moved away uh there that that we have experienced a lot of uh, grief and to take time to have our hearts uh, sit with that and to have our hearts break for what we see going on around us and to pray a prayer God break our hearts for what breaks your heart and then as uh, uh, Nehemiah sits, sit, sits in weeping and mourning he begins to pray to God and his prayer includes a confession of sin I confess verse 6 the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, uh, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. You, do you notice uh, one thing about uh, Nehemiah's confession of prayer? It is not only for his own sins, but also, he says, for the sins of my father's family. And I find that quite interesting because I think sometimes we shy away from wanting to recognize or wanting to confess the sins that we see going all around us. We say, well, I haven't committed that sin. I haven't done that. Why should I uh, take responsibility for that? 
Well, we as a church, as Christians, we have an opportunity and a responsibility to come before God and to confess this, not only our own sins, but the sins that are going on all around us. That is part of what it means that we are West Covina Christian Church. We confess the sins of the community around us so that uh, we might experience the mercies of God, asking God to be gracious to us. Sin is more than just disobedience to God's command, though, as it says here, that it, it does include that. But sin, deeper than that, is sin is not loving God as we should. As we confess our the as we confess the sins of our community, we might start by asking God to forgive us because we have not loved God as we should. St. Augustine says we are not primarily what we think or what we do, but what we love. And I think that that's important for us to remember as we think about a church. What, how, what do we believe? What do we do? But that, but that ultimately flows out of what do we love. And so my question for you this morning and my question for you individually and for a church is, what do we love? What do you love? What do you love the most? St. Augustine goes on to say that uh, the things we love the most are oftentimes out of order. For many people, they love, uh, they should love God most, but they actually love him the third or the fourth greatest love in their life. And we tend to love good things. We love the things that God has given us, but we, but we love them more than we love God himself. Misplaced love more than anything is, sin, is the sin against God that we must confess. And then the last thing that Augustine says about uh, misplaced loves is that the way we change our hearts to love what we ought to love is by changing how we worship. You see, again, I think that this uh, leads us into who we are as a church uh, by offering worship as the way to express the loves of our heart. West Covina Christian Church is to be a heart-shaping community by drawing people into worship. The first step of our blueprint for a rebuild is prayer. That's what I've been trying to emphasize. A prayer of lament, a prayer of confession, and then a prayer of action. God, what do you want us to do? And that will be step number two. Step number two that we'll cover uh, in the next several uh, weeks is the step of action. God, what do you want us to do? You see, when it comes to God's love, we can't be asymptomatic. You know, just inspire love within our own hearts, but it never shows up on the outside. No, if God's love lives within us, it ought to be symptomatic and it ought to be contagious. It goes and it spreads to others. And so Nehemiah uses his position to make a difference for his people. Nehemiah's position is that he is a cupbearer for the king. That's the last sentence of chapter 1. Uh, Nehemiah 11, uh, 1, 11b says, I was a cupbearer for the king. What was the job of a cupbearer? He ate the food before the king ate the food. And so if the food was poisoned, he'd fall dead and the king would live. But, and, he, and you may sound, well, that's a terrible job. But the good, 
the good uh, aspect of this job is that he had as- that he had access to the king, and he gained the king's trust. He had uh, responsibility. In, in fact, one commentator said that Nehemiah, as cupbearer to the king, operated in a position that we might call chief of staff, like he had a, a responsibility and influence. And we'll see in this book how he used his responsibility and influence. And all of you have responsibility and influence. You might not think, oh, I don't have a cupbearer position. I'm not chief of staff. I don't have anything significant. You have influence because you have relationships. And maybe you don't have a position or have a, a, a lot of prominence, but God can use you in special ways. And so, uh, and so the last thing I want to address this morning is, what if we come into this sermon series and we think, I don't have much to offer here. Pastor Corey and Pastor Darren over the next, several mo- uh, over the next few months are going to talk about uh, blueprints for a rebuild. I'm going to check out right now because I don't have anything that I can bring to the table. Or maybe even we look at our church and we think, we're not a large church. What difference could we really make? We don't have a lot of people and a bunch of resources. Well, I want to take these two thoughts and, uh, and address them directly from Nehemiah 1, 5, and 6. And I'll just let you know, I've saved the best for last. This is the best part of the first chapter. In Nehemiah uh, uh, verse, uh, 1, 1, 5, Nehemiah begins to pray, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant who is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. And that is what we are doing. We are praying day and night. We're opening our hearts up to pray for the people of West Covina for the church of West Covina Christian Church, that, God would, that God's ears would be attentive and his eyes would be open to hear our prayers. And maybe we do not feel like we have positions of prominence or power as individuals or as a church, but we serve a God who does. Look at how uh, Nehemiah addresses God. He says, Lord, the God of heaven. Nehemiah ap- uh, appeals to the prominence of God, the God who sits on the throne, who has power, who reigns over the earth. He is the God of heaven. And then Nehemiah recognizes the power of God when he says, great and awesome God, the God who is able to do and to move and to act and to, and to make a difference, the prominence of God, the power of God. And then finally, he remembers the promise of God when he says, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him. You see, we do not trust our own prominence or our own power, but we, but we serve a God who is a God of prominence, power, and promise. And if it is God's will, he will do it. He will accomplish his desires through us. You know, on the corner of these blueprints is actually a Bible verse. And I took a picture of it. I'll, I'll ask that it's shown here on the screen. Uh, This is what is written right in the corner of every page of the blueprints. Uh, Engineering solutions. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain 
that build it. You see, ultimately, we are the laborers, but it is God who does the building. That God builds the house, and God builds the church, and God builds the community. And so this morning, I'll admit, I'm so thankful that Principal Fullerton is here with us. And I'm thankful that Mike Flowers is here. And I'm thankful for every one of you that are here. I'm thankful for all of those that are watching online. I'm thankful for all the students that attend Cameron Elementary and their families. I'm thankful for all those that live right around uh, here at the church. And uh, wouldn't it be great if we were to set a whole big table and everyone could sit around the table and, man, that would be a Thanksgiving meal for sure. We'd have so much to be thankful for. But if we all gathered around that table, there would be one place of promise. Jesus would sit at the head of the table. And so we as a church, we gather together with so much to be thankful for. And we submit ourselves to God's will and say, God, how, whatever you want us to do, that is what we will do. And the wind is behind our backs because we do not work in our own strength, but we work through the Spirit that gives us strength. And God moves and God works so that we might love Him most. Not second, not third, not fourth on the list. So that we might love Him most. And that we might draw others in to love Jesus Christ. Because remember the mission statement. To open the doors wide so that many may enter through the narrow gates. That's our heart. That's ultimately the blueprint for a rebuild. That God would use us to make a difference in others so that they can enter into a relationship with him, have their lives changed, and give God the glory that he deserves. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you that it is a beautiful day. I thank you that uh, we are able to have a couple special guests with us. And God, I pray that you would continue to move in our hearts and in our church, in our community, to draw people to yourself. God, we ask that you would forgive our sins when we have not given you the prominent place in our lives when we have not loved you the way that we have loved, we should love you. We pray that you would forgive us individually because we are all guilty of that. We pray that uh, you would forgive us as a church when we, have, when we have not exalted you the way that you deserve to be exalted. We ask for forgiveness for our community and for our country when we have not followed you in the way that we should be following you. And God, we plead for your mercy, that you would come and that you would build us up new, that you would fix our hearts and our minds on Jesus Christ so that you are glorified in the way that you deserve to be glorified and worshiped. And we pray that you would, uh, in, in the course of the next several months, as we go through the book of Nehemiah, we pray that you would stir within us and form us and shape us to be the people of God that you want us to be because God we simply want to be used by you you are a God who is worthy to be praised and we want to be used by you to make a difference we want to see human flourishing and so God we pray that you would uh, use us to bring about uh, your desires in us and through us and may it all be for your glory in Jesus name
Amen.